Welcome to this podcast by Global Church. We are a church planting movement wanting to reach cities from here to everywhere, one to everyone. If you want to find out more information, check out our website on www.globalchurch.co.uk. So belonging before you believe, we need to have something to belong to. We need, we need to, uh, um, what God, the Holy Spirit does when people become Christians is he creates and births family so that people can come to something. And that family, we learn family traits, yeah? We're all born into a family. And uh, if you weren't, <clears throat> many people aren't these days, many people are adopted. Uh, some extreme cases are, you know, if you're the, the result of rape. And so, um, <clears throat> in those situations, uh, you know, maybe today even, you're the result of something as, as, as bad as that. Uh, and uh, just to, just to right, off, or right from the beginning is to say, God never makes a mistake. You are not a mistake. You might not have been planned. You might have heard your, you might have heard your mom and dad talking in your presence like, well, we didn't plan her. And, it, and people don't mean anything by that. That's like a family giggle. And it's like, but we're relieved she's here now. And you th- but sometimes, this isn't time for a pity party for you. If you're like, I'd never thought like that. I think I'll feel sorry for myself now. Don't do that. It's a waste of time. And so, <clears throat> what you've got to get hold of is God doesn't make mistakes. You know, some people try forever to, to, to have babies and struggle to have them. Not every time you, you make love, you know, the, the seed goes in, the egg is going to be fertilized. And yet, the time when, when you don't want the, the egg to be fertilized, but the time that you don't is in the case, the extreme case of rape. But God is the giver of life. And, and there are times where God bestows life. think, oh, and God goes, yes. Why? Because he sees you. He saw you. And he chose, to, he chose their DNA and their DNA to create you. And you say, well, I don't know whether I agree with that. Honestly, you've got to get into God's mind. It's mind-blowing. Because you're not an accident. I'm trying to get to something here. I don't care how extreme it is. You are not here by accident. That God chose your time. The Bible says it not only did he choose your time, but he chose your exact place. I, I, I mean, I must have been born in the wrong place because I'm in York today. That's where he wants you to be. And it's important that you get that. You're not an accident. So therefore, God has got a purpose for every single individual pers- person. God so loved who? Did he just so love the chosen ones? No, he so loved the world. I saw a guy yesterday walking trying to get my head together. This is how I handle myself. Um, you know, what I'm going through, what I'm planning for or whatever, frustrations. I usually jog, but I felt lazy yesterday, so I, I walked. And I saw this fella sat on a bench, and I didn't know whether he'd had that, that drug, you know, spice, because he were like that. Darren, but he was like that on the bench. And I just thought to myself, and his bum was showing. His pants were down and his bum was showing. He was an old man. And people walking past Tutting, and I walk, I'm thinking, for goodness sake, in our city, this is disgusting. And it is. It is. I don't care who it is. It's, that is just, we have to call it what it is before we have compassion. Do you know what I'm saying? Otherwise, the do-gooders get in. They are worse than terrorists. Because <laughs> terrorists are selfish, but do-gooders are even more selfish. Because they do good so that they feel good. I can't stand them. Churches are full of them. Exterminate. 
exterminate. I don't want to be a do-gooder. I want to be a person on purpose. And I'm walking past this guy. I walk past him like that. And when other people were totting, that irritated me as well. I'm thinking he's made in the image of God. And he has fallen so far. Look at him. We've all fallen, but some of us know how to like put a front on. Like we've got it all together. This fella hasn't got it all together. He's a, he's a mess. And I walked past on a side bird bomb. I didn't know how to park my bike up. Or anyway, <laughs> old jokes are the best. So I just I took hold of him. I said, mate, and he was he, clearly he was drunk as a skunk. But I, I'm, I'm just going, mate, you're showing your bum. We need to pull your pants up. And he goes, oh, no, it's terrible. And I'm going, come on, you're going to have to stand. I can't stand up. He says, you're going to have to. So I helped him up, and I pulled his pants up, and they were going to fall down again. He'd no belt. And I thought, give him your belt. And I thought, he's not having my belt. I don't love him that much. <laughs> and I said to him, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to bring you a belt. And he said, I've got loads of leather belts at home. He said, these are just too big for me. And I just said, are you going to get locked up? And I said, and if kids walk past, this isn't good. I said, we need to get you somewhere. He goes, just leave me. I'll sort it out. So he sat back down on his bench, and I walked on. That's, that's my good deed for the day, by the way. <laughs> Not, thank, thank you very much. Not, <laughs> it's great when you've got your hands in. But, but he, it, wasn't, it, it, it wasn't just about him. It was about other kids walking past, family. And it's a, it's a weekend, bank holiday weekend. I'm thinking of our city. You know, love the city. Everybody just has a go at everything. Let's love the city. Take care of our city. So anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you that because there's a lot of things that go on in our lives. That man, his life is not an accident. But he's made choices that haven't helped him. But God so loved the... Now, why didn't I go and take him on, bath him and shave him and, and sort him out? Why didn't I? I? It's a rhetorical question. I don't want anyone to join him. We'll be here forever. There's more opinions out here than I've had at dinner, so it's a rhetorical question. But here's the thing. It's because we're not geared up as a church for people with those kind of problems. We're not. Some churches are. Salvation Army was geared up, really, for people like that. And I admire them. And I've done things like that. I remember taking my first drunk home, and I was a teenager living with my parents and my brothers and sisters, and I was the do-gooder. And I took this guy home, and he was drunk as a skunk, but he, he absolutely stunk. And my mum said, you can't just put him in a bed like that, Dave. He's going to have to have a bath. So I told this guy, and he goes, yeah, that's fair enough. Then he shouted when he was in bath, Dave, Dave, my mum said, you're going to have to bath him. <laughs> I was 19 years old, I'm thinking, he'll wash his own bits. I'm not touching anything down there. <laughs> not that friendly. But... He stayed at our house. We met him breakfast the morning after me and the punk rockers. We took him for some clothes in this second-hand shop. And honestly, he was so embarrassed. We met a right. We weren't geared up for it, but we did our best, yeah? But if you're not careful, what you do is you bring to global your pattern of how you think church should be rather than learning the pattern of how global says this is how global is. There are many different flavors of church. And, and we are a movement we are not static. We don't even have our own building where we can just say, hey, well, house people, come and stay with us. We can't do that. And so there's only so much we can do. The heartbeat of Global is spreading the gospel and doing good to human beings wherever we are as best we can. But that's not a forever kind of thing. 
and so and uh, you know even the way we do church it's for people who don't believe coming in so they can belong whereas other churches even the welcomes in your face morning who are you who are you what do you <laughs> what do you do and you're thinking i've just come somebody invited me and i don't really want to talk so you know not to the host team you are brilliant actually but you know we don't just go right into people's faces can you see we're different and we've designed it that way, me and Shelley. Why? Because we were the outcasts. Well, sorry, I was the outcast. And, uh, and as I've come into church, every time my stomach flips, and I've thought, oh, that's a bit embarrassing, then if it's odd, we call it odd. And I've called lots of things odd in church life. You know, we used to, people used to come and just hug you, and we didn't, I didn't even know them. And they'd start to hug me. It's like, it's strange. It's very strange. Are we anti-hugging? No, we're not. But, you know, get to know each other first. Don't just assume. The other thing I noticed in church is ugly men went hugging beautiful young girls. That's just so unfair, isn't it? That's unfair. So we protected the girls. Honestly, it's, ha- it's, it's happened. It's very rare that a beautiful girl goes and hugs an ugly old man, although I've had a few hugs in my time. <laughs> anyway, can I get on with today's talk? I'm just trying to whet your appetite. We are a different church. And we've designed it. And people are not used to this idea of designing church. It's like, I thought church was just church and God and all that. When you read your Bible, you start to find out there's no one definition of church, but there are elements in a church that would make it a church. Like preaching from the Word of God, reading from God's Word, prayers, taking bread and wine, uh, meeting regularly, not just in a service like this, but regularly as a fellowship. Can I tell you there's four words for love in the Bible? Um, in, in, certainly in the New Testament. So I can say I love chocolate, I can say I love my wife, and I can say I love football. And we're all like, we, we, as, as Brits, we all get that. Yeah, he loves, he loves, he loves, he loves. In, in, in the Greek language, there's four words for love. Agape love is the sacrificial love that, that mums and dads know when they're bringing kids up. They put themselves on the back burner and they give the kids the best, Yeah. And, and it's the kind of love Jesus had when he went to the cross. Another love is, is um, sexual attraction love, eros, right, from a man to a woman. Then you've got, um, what's the other one? Koinonia, which is fellowship love, where, where we're getting to know each other and loving each other, and we don't, we don't necessarily get each other's culture, where we're coming from, but we're trying. We're learning to love people we don't particularly know. I wouldn't naturally gravitate to, yeah? And then uh, the, the last love, filial. Filial love, like, um, is, is like from brother to sister, brother to brother, yeah? And so there's different types of love in the Bible, and you've, you've just got to pick out. As, as you go through the context, generally tells you what kind of love is going on there. But I want to say today, we are formed for God's family. Our greatest calling is to get to know God and His plan for our lives. But, but we are meant to be part of a community because we change when we're part of community. You can't change as a human being too well on your own. Even in paradise, in the Garden of Eden, God said, it is not good for man to be alone, and it isn't. (laughs) You know, men need their space. I like that hour. uh, uh, I used to like it when the lads were around. They'd go to bed. Shelley would go to bed. That last hour was my hour. Yeah? I'd have a brew. 
and I and I'd just think about the day. I might watch something on telly. I might read. But that was my kind of downtime, yeah? But if I had that all the time, that wouldn't be good. It's not good for man to be alone. If you've got a man cave, it's not good. <laughs> man caves are brilliant. I'm always building them wherever I go because I'm a man. But just to stay there is not good. We need other human beings. <clears throat> but today, in, we are being formed into God's family. I want to look at what matters most. And what matters most is learning to love. I said last week that many of us have been brought up in dysfunctional families. Many of us don't, haven't got relationship skills. We need to learn them. And uh, the church is the best place to learn them. I'll tell you why. Because the Bible is full of dysfunctional people learning to be functional. And it's funny when you talk to people that have got a kind of traditional faith and they think about King David and they go, oh, he's a mighty king. He was a wonderful king. He was an adulterer and, an, and a murderer. But he did some amazing good things. But he killed somebody's husband so that he could sleep with her. Well, he slept with her and then she got pregnant. So, so he, 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 yeah, he, he got shut of her husband. And you think, you know, that's him. Moses. Moses was a murderer. Paul the Apostle, who wrote most of the Old, uh, New Testament, he was, was uh, a murderer. God used Moses in the Old Testament and Apostle Paul in the New Testament in amazing ways. Most of the, of the church leaders in the New Testament ended up in prison. Could you imagine if me and Shelley ended up in prison? And you're like, well, they must have done something. Well, uh, and yet the early church got thrown into prison fairly regularly. And we've got to get rid of this nicey-nice. When we're talking about loving and building family, please do not have this kind of 2.4 kids where your earth's parted at side, your wife's beautiful, you've got a six-pack, you get in your car and everything's brand new. Honestly, <clears throat> that is not the picture I'm talking about. I'm talking about something far more robust than looking good to other people. So let's have a look at the first scripture. It's in the message version of the Bible. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake, you know, burn to the stake, to be burned as a martyr, but don't love, I've got nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt. Everyone say bankrupt. I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first. Love doesn't fly off the handle. I wish that weren't in there. <laughs> Love doesn't fly off the handle. Love doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel. Doesn't take pleasure, sorry, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Love puts up with anything. Trust God always. Always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. That's a fair old translation. I don't think it's the best, but it contains something I want to bring out later on. But can you see how selfless love is? Often our up, up, upbringing has not tooled us up for building strong, loving relationships. Also, our experiences in young adult relationships have damaged us. You see, relationships are for grown-ups. They're not for kids. They're not. And so many people watch the kids and 
they, they're trying to be modern when they're bringing the kids up. So they let their kids bring their girlfriends home or their boyfriends home and stuff like that. They even share a bedroom and stuff like that. And you're like, no, no, relationships are not for kids. Relationships are for grown-ups. You can tell when you're growing up because you take responsibility for your words and your actions. It's never somebody else's fault. Because God is love, the most important life lessons he wants you to learn on earth is how to love. Love is foundational to every command that God has given us. It's funny, we see God as stern, but you know, behind God's definites is a heart of love. I can remember bringing our, our lads up and other kids that just were wild used to come into our house. But I know that other kids, when they used to come into our house, they were like, we've got to watch this fella. Me, it's like, you're not going to get away with anything here. And I know what kids think, because my, my mate's dad was like me. And uh, it's almost like, I'm glad I don't live in this house. It'd be too strict, yeah? Now, my lads didn't pick that up. They knew I was strict, but they could see how much I loved them. And Shelley. Shelley does get a mention now and again. <laughs> they, we were strict bringing our kids up, but they knew, the, they knew their time. We used to say, we've got friends coming around uh, uh, for dinner tonight. And um, so, you know, well, they knew they, they couldn't come downstairs or anything like that. But we just said, you need to be on your best behavior. And this is not a time to clown around. And, and then I would explain, tomorrow, we're going to be doing this, that, and the other. That's your time. I don't care what adult wants to talk to me. I won't speak to them, because that's your time. And they got to know, because we were very busy, but they got to know their place. And they understood love. And they understood that there had to be order. There's a word in church. Especially in charismatic churches, there isn't any order. Everyone's like, if it's ordered, it's man. And you're like, no, when things are ordered, people trust that you've got your act together as a leadership. And they can trust the kids to go out to a kid's work. Can you see what I'm saying? We are different from other churches. There's order. There was order in my home. And there's order in the church. And where there's disorder, it won't last long. Why? Because we'll bring order to it. In a way that people feel like they've been helped. Not just told off or just corrected from some superior, some superior being, but there's a way. And we've got to learn love. We've got to learn how to love our wives, or learn to love our husbands, learn to love our partners, learn to love our kids, learn to love our in-laws so they don't become our outlaws. It's a skill. Shelley chose to love my family. She said, if you love them, I'm going to love them. She said, oh, what a moron. Has she not got... Listen, she has got her own thoughts, but she understood she couldn't love me without loving the people I loved. And I picked that up off her, so I chose to love her family. <laughs> I learned something. And she was quick, she was far quicker than me to get it. Anyway, let's move on. Learning to love unselfishly is not an easy task. It runs opposite to our self-centered nature. That's why we're given a lifetime to learn it. God wants us to have an, an attitude of love to whoever we meet but he's particularly concerned that we love others in his family. And this might be new to you, because we're formed for God's family. Do you know that we're going to spend eternity with each other? And there'll be people in our physical bloodline family that we're not going to spend eternity with. And that's shocking. And so when you think your blood ties are stronger than anything, they're not. When you become a Christian, your ties spiritually are more powerful. We're, we're going to spend eternity 
with each other. Now, in the past, when people have heard this kind of teaching, they ignore the family because the families are hard to get on with. Anyone notice that? You see, your family don't hate you. They just want to see you humbled sometimes. When you, I can remember coming home from Bible college and I started washing up. And I remember doing it for a full week, just only one meal. <laughs> My mum's washed up for three meals for six kids and her mother-in-law and her husband for like forever. And I come home and I start washing up one meal a day. <laughs> You know what she said? I, heard, I overheard her. She goes, he's washing up every day. She goes, it won't last. And it didn't. And you see, but it's a put down. But you see, she didn't want to put me down. She just knew I was being false. Actually, I, would try, I was trying to put a new discipline in, but to her it was just false, and she weren't having falseness. It's like, we'll see how long this lasts. Yeah? Can anyone understand my mother there? And that's what your family's like often with you. And so... When you meet with other people that, that believe in God and your family doesn't believe in God, it's easier to be with the church kind of people, yeah? But that's not an excuse to stop loving. Your family should love them even more. And when people are awkward with you and your family, well, then you're going to learn some ways in church of how to deal with that without just being rude. But, you, you know, we're, we're not voiceless and we're not spineless. We can come back even within our family. But I know after five years of being a Christian, I remember being at a family uh, event. And it's usual, you know, everyone smoking and drunk and, and uh, drinking, I should say. Apart from my parents, they weren't into any of that, uh, really and truly. Uh, you know, the, the drinking side of stuff. But they just used to put barbecues on and stuff. And I had a conviction on me to apologize to my brothers and my sister that every time we have these events and we invite people that are and not our family and all our old friends, I would try and give them the gospel. And uh, I'd embarrass them, I'd embarrass my family. And so I said I was sorry for that, and I was genuinely. And I thought, I'm not going to say anything to anybody unless they ask me. And if they do ask me, and it's a family event, I'll give them a short answer and then back off. Because this is not the context for that kind of thing. It gets misunderstood. And so I told my brothers, and they said, yeah, yeah, we'll put up with a lot of SH1T over the years. And I said, you're right. And I should have kept my mouth shut at that point, and I couldn't because I wanted them to know something else. I wanted to know that, that I put up with a lot of SH1T because of their behavior. And so I mentioned it to them, and, the, and all their heads went down guilty, and I just said, I haven't said it to make you guilty, but I said, at least we're talking. And I said, it's a two-way street is honesty. And I said, but I promise you, I'll never embarrass you like that again. And I don't think I have. And I have a close, in fact, my eldest brother's become a Christian since. When he became a Christian, all my other brothers are running because they're like, oh no, there's two in the family. And if big Steve becomes a Christian, it's like, you know, he's like the Messiah. Um, I'm, just saying, I'm just letting you know, I'll give you background information about myself because I'm letting you know the pitfalls. So when God says, uh, uh, you know, I've, um, show particular love to his people, it doesn't mean that you ignore your family. It's not an excuse to say, I'm going to be with the look-alike, talk-alike, think-alike people. It isn't. It's just that we're going to spend eternity together. And also, as we spread the gospel, we're going to have more baby Christians come in. They're just newly born again. And, and when that happens, we've got to have a culture in this church that we're all on the same page. 
that we not like, like me and Shelley are to be on the same page bringing our sons up. Because if they can divide you, if they can, you know, my lads used to come to, me, to, to, used to go to Shelley and just say, can I do this? She said, have you talked to your dad? And I went, no, but can you talk to him? And she goes, no, you need to talk to him. So they would come and my mum said that I can, and I just said, your mum hasn't said anything. She's told you to come to me because we were clear. We were on the same page and they would, get, they would get the answer. And sometimes when there was confusion reigning, the lads thought they were smart when they said, I talked to my mum and my mum said yes, which it was true. But they hadn't told Shelley what I'd told them. And so I said, I know your mum gave you permission, but did you tell her what we discussed? No. And I said, well, it's never a yes until I'm telling you that it's a yes. And so I shrank that kind of, that gap where they used to pick one off against the other. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? I do understand in this kind of climate that we have, for me to be the head of the house is a bad thing. It's like, well, we're all equal. We're all, who, who does Dave think he is? I think Shelley's just as good as him. Honestly, I think she's better than me half the time. All right, a third of the time. And <laughs> it isn't that, but it's God's batting order. We are all equal. Shelley's just as, we are equal in what? In value. We are equal in value, but not in purpose. We have different, I can't have babies, funnily enough. And you know what? You never see me with a placard protesting. You'll never see any man with a placard protesting we can't have babies. We are thrilled that only women can have babies. But there's an order. And God knows how we're hardwired as human beings. And, um, to, you know, women are more nurturers. Women are, 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 are nest builders. Men are adventurers. Men are, are, are uh, we're just wired in, so, we're not into detail. We're not into process, really. We struggle with process. Women can process so much better. That's why often you're more skilled in discussion or, or um, diplomacy. You say to a man, you can't. That's like a red rag to a bull. And all the modern women, well, all the modern men, yeah, I was right first time, modern women of both sexes, all the modern women are like, you know, well, we've just got to go around the mulberry bush and stuff. So I love talking with men. Men love men's company. Did you know that? Women love women's company and men spoil it. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> Unless you get a man that's not part of our camp. And, uh, you know, they're going and then they're like, they're, they're great with women. And uh, I'm not talking about gay men. I'm just talking about men that are just like, they don't know how to be with men. But we do, and we have a distinction. We understand that we're wired and we've got a different purpose and a different calling. Just in that last few statements, I have given you enough to talk about at dinner party. It, just in there, it's like, I never knew that. You know, the Bible says this, this is going to shock you. The head of Christ is God. The head of man is Christ. The head of woman is man. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But you see, the leadership in the Bible is not domination, it's servanthood. And I've been in churches where men are the leader, definitely, and the woman is the quiet, submissive type. And when I see them women shaking as they go to make a cup of tea, I know what kind of leadership is in that house. And it's not Jesus' leadership, it's a dominator. And I'm not a dominator, I'm a lover. C.S. Lewis wrote, and he said, our God, meaning the Christian God, is the greatest lover in the world. And he didn't mean sexy love. He meant servant love. And Jesus has been my model 
for 30 odd years. From being 19 to 57, he's my model of leadership. It's servant leadership. And when our babies cried in the evening, in the, in the middle of the night, I would have given me right arm to be able to breastfeed so that Shelley could rest. Well, there's some things that you can't do. Yeah. Who's ever babysat? Any of you fellas babysat and your wife's breastfeeding and there's nothing in the house and she's late, she's got caught in traffic and you're left with your crying baby and you've got to use your little finger and they like suck on your knuckle. Anyone done anything like that or am I just a weirdo? I've tried all sorts of things just to keep them soothed until the mother gets home. You know, people say, why don't you and Shelley have a weekend away and then you, you know, let other people look after baby. It's just for you. I'm thinking, you are kidding me. I didn't have kids to park up with somebody else. I loved every minute bringing my boys up. When you're Shelley, they're her boys. When you're me, they're my boys, but really we share them. <laughs> well, we're not getting very far today, but I'm trying to cushion some tough love stuff and some boundary stuff. And it might be, you know, on first hearing, so like a French lesson, stick around. Don't just walk off and be offended. Stick around and say, I'm going to learn something here. And, um, you know, you come to your own conclusions. But, but hopefully, in the round, or in, in the space of a few weeks and months, you start to see that the heart of the leadership here is not a dictatorship, but it is very much family and leadership, strong leadership. Okay, here we go. So, the first scripture is from the Apostle Peter. And he said, Apostle is just a name of somebody that's, that's been uh, chosen by Jesus. Um, and, the, you know, they called them the apostles in the early days. It's just a, somebody that's sent by Jesus. So, here we go. He said this, respect everyone and show special love for God's people. The Apostle Paul echoes this. And he says, when we have the opportunity to help anyone, we should do it. But we should give special attention to those who are in the family of believers. And I've been in churches. I've served lots of different churches. I didn't work for, for uh, any particular church for the first 12 years of, of uh, what we call the ministry. Um, I, I served lots. Roman Catholic, Church of England, Baptist, Pentecostal, Methodist, Charismatic, Evangelifish, the whole lot. Um, and what I noticed is so often people would despise the church and when they were talking to people who didn't have faith, they, were, they would say, oh yeah, church is rubbish. But they would promote themselves like, I'm not rubbish, I'm really interesting. I'm a very interesting person and I'm different from all them other believers. And uh, I understand that, I, I've been like that. But there comes a point where you say, I want to be part of a church that I'm proud of. Not that we're perfect, that's part of the attraction. The world says you have to be perfect in order to be accepted. The church is, part of our attraction is that we're not perfect. And it gives permission for others not to be perfect. Here's another little ditch that you can go into. Always being not perfect. Because God accepts you as you are. No, that's just obnoxious. You have to learn by your mistakes. You've got to move on. Otherwise, you, get, you become a person that nobody can trust. Because given the option of getting it right or getting it wrong, you'll choose to get it wrong because you can't be bothered. Yeah? But I want to be around people who are vital, who say, I can't be bothered. We're building a family here that when people come, they get us. But more to the point, they get Jesus. And if they don't get us, they very, very rarely do they get Jesus because they measure him by us. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
So just coming to the end of my introduction, why does God insist we give special attention to other believers, to, to, to other believers in the church? Because he wants love to be the hallmark of his family. Jesus said this, you know, in the, in the discussions with his disciples. John chapter 13, he said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And here, here it is. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That was Jesus' greatest evangelistic strategy, is that believers would love one another. It wasn't the smoke machine. It wasn't the size of the band. It wasn't the, um, the charisma of the speaker. But it was that, that we had a, a love, a deep love, a true love, not a false love, not a I'm trying to be a Christian type love. I'm talking about a genuine love. And uh, Jesus said, that'll be the hallmark of my church. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. It's an old version. So we didn't get very far today, but I hope that you got the flavor. So often things are caught rather than taught. And you get the flavor. I've been in ministry now for over 30 years. Ministry is where, you know, you've been set apart to do this work. And um, so I've seen lots of stuff. There's very few things that have passed my eyes um, that, that I've, I've missed. But building a church is awesome. It's an awesome responsibility, and I protect it, and I shape it, and I don't let things just go astray. I, I, I deal with things. It's like running a business. Very, very similar. I know that can switch a lot of you off, but uh, it is like running a business. We have accountants because we, we deal with finances. We have leaders because we're dealing with people. And um, we have very few counselors. We're not looking for counselors. I would sooner send them to the council counselors because they, they have more resources. They're better trained, not like people in church that have plastic psychologists. I really think you need this. And you think, oh, please don't. Don't play with people's lives. Let's, let's send them to the professionals. Um, not that professionals are always right, but you know what? It's better than playing, playing games with people's lives. So we're not geared up for everything, but we're geared up for spreading the gospel and spreading a great family experience. And you'll find that in our value systems. Love God, love life, love people. There's usually one. Oh, there we go. Our mission, making disciples, planting churches, reaching cities. And, um, you know, we're on the move. And we can't spend a lot of time. If, if you need a lot of time, we, have, we, we won't be able to spend a lot of time with just either one person. That's why we say become part of the community. That's your responsibility, not for us to keep chasing you up going, are you coming to a dinner party? Are you coming to the service on Sunday? It's like, no, you've got, where there's a want to, you'll find a way to. And uh, we, want, we want the whole city in here. Once the secret gets out, everybody will want this. Once they see it working for their family, they'll go, where have I been? When it's working for the marriage, it's like, why, didn't, why did nobody tell me this? I want to go in all the secondary schools and talk about, uh, 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 about, um, making a marriage work, about how to handle finances and so forth. Things, real things. I mean, who's ever used pi, you know, Pythagoras? Anybody use pi? Can anyone tell me what pi is as a, as a fraction or anything? You know, you can't. I know where Africa is on the map and in India, but has it ever helped me? I mean, I get lost in York. 
Okay, you've got you've you've got the point. From the team here at Global Church, thank you for listening to this podcast. Please check out our other messages available on the website 